Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast, our first episode in 2021. I am your host, Heather McFadden. This is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 308, we have Dr. Kurt Thompson on the show, and it is fantastic. One of the things that we realize in the scriptures is that as the scriptures unfold the story of human beings, anytime it mentions sin, frequently shame is attached in the Hebrew language. Shame is part of that. Hmm. And one of the things that we notice about shame is that because we are immobilized and we are hiding, shame does not actually ever allow us to move toward God. This is why we have to have someone come and find us. This is why that when our children are experiencing shame, we have to go and find them. This is why it's important for us as parents, if we're going to go and find our children, we as parents also must have others who are coming to find us. Kurt is the author of the book, Anatomy of the Soul and the Soul of Shame. And in this episode, get ready, you are going to be, one, encouraged, you're going to be reminded of the work shame does to keep us from the good God has planned for us. You're going to be given help as a parent and how we as moms can come after one another, how we can foster the kind of community we need to combat shame cycles. It's hard work, but it's going to be worth it. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Dr. Thompson, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Heather, thank you so much. It is a delight to be with you today. Well, I have been soaking myself in the words of your book, The Soul of Shame, and I wish I had this in my mind and my heart when I had younger children, even college. This would have been helpful information for me as I've walked through life. Mm. And Mm. so if I can introduce the moms and the dads that listen to this show, to your work, and to the truth of the enemy's attempts to disrupt our lives and to disengage us from one another and from our family units. And if we can give them a way out, that to me would be a successful episode. So thank Mm. you for being willing to engage in this Mm. and to share. Mm. It really is. Let's talk. Let's start with shame. So Mm. Mm. uh, I've done a few episodes here, there and mentioned it. But for those who haven't heard those, I'd love for you to kind of break it down for us. Yeah. Sometimes people will ask me, well, first of all, um, as, I, as I said in, the, in our warm-up uh, time, Heather, just thank you so much for your kind invitation uh, to have me on your podcast. I, it's great to be here. And as I said, I'm, it's always humbling to be invited into a space where so many people are working so hard to follow Jesus because following Jesus is really hard to do. Uh, at least it is for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm grateful to be part of a community that is working to be the body of Christ and to, as we, as we, as I say, where we are practicing for heaven, as a patient of mine said yesterday, we are training for reigning R E I G H N I N G, which I think is really apropos. When it comes to shame, there are a couple things that I think that are important. Uh, One is that there, we learn about the reality of the world, about who we are as human beings uh, in a number of different ways. But one of those ways is, of course, we, we learn from the biblical text. And another way that we learn is through science. That's another way that we learn. Science is a way. It's not the only way. It's certainly not the most important way, but it is a way. And when you look at 
shame, you see some parallel tracks uh, right out of the gate uh, in terms of the biblical narrative and in terms of what we learn from science. So if we first talk about what we know about what how shame actually works, we don't actually have a definition for it as much as we have a description for what happens. And, and the first thing it's important for our listeners to know is that shame is first and foremost a neurophysiologic event. It is a thing that happens first and foremost primarily in our bodies in our embodied state. So when, you know, our, it, it doesn't really take much to say like, well, do you know what it's like to feel ashamed? Well, of course, like all of our listeners, like we know exactly what it feels like. And it could be anything from some small embarrassment that happens to some, you know, large humiliating single event, or it could be that felt sense that we um, carry with us because of an extension of a number of different events that have taken place. If I've if I lived in a in a home of, of great poverty, if I lived in a home where there was sexual or physical or emotional abuse that takes place, shame can become pervasive and deeply embedded. But before it's anything that I would talk about as an abstract idea, it is a thing that I feel in my body. And Perhaps if we have more time, send another time to come back and talk about the details of those mechanics, we can do that. But for now, it's, it's, it's important to know that when we experience shame from a neurobiological standpoint, from a brain standpoint and a body standpoint, there are two or three things that stand out about it. One, and this is really important to know, is that shame begins, we can begin to sense it and feel it and respond to it as early as 15 to 18 months of age. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. I mean, that feels like a lot of pressure for a mom. Yeah. And here's one thing I tell parents. Look, the only way you're not going to screw up your kids <laughs> is if you don't have them. <laughs> it's the only way you don't screw up your kids. Yeah. I have I have a daughter who's 30 and a son who's 27. And, you know, they're, they're wonderful people. And they are living, breathing proof that, like, if we're going to have our kids, they are going to have their own experiences of brokenness. They're just going to have them. And we are going to be part of that. And, and here's the, the beautiful thing is, Heather, Jesus isn't worried about that. Hmm. He's not worried about our kids. Yeah. He's not worried about your mothering. He's not worried. He's delighted. He knows how hard this work is. And he knows that we will do it imperfectly. And Good Friday, seen through the lens of Easter, is God's message to say, I'm not worried about evil because it can't control me. Even when we have our worst moments in which we foist shame upon our kids, in which our kids experience shame against everything that we're doing to try to combat it, God is saying, I'm not worried. I never run out of options. And so even though it begins early in our kids' history, it also is a message to us that God is always present in the middle of that. One of the other things that shame will tend to do then, it neurobiologically, we say that it disintegrates us. It cuts off my thinking brain from my feeling brain from my body. I don't function well or clearly. Imagine what it's been like for you to try to think clearly or to create or to cooperate or to um, enjoy anything when you're in the middle of an experience of shame. It's very difficult. Yeah. Another feature is that we tend to automatically, and we don't even need to think about doing this, we tend to isolate. Now, we don't just isolate parts of my brain's activity from other parts. My thinking brain gets cut off and isolated from my feeling brain. 
but I, as an individual, also will turn and isolate myself from you, from others. Shame has me not wanting you to see it, and as such, I will turn away from you. Many of us have seen a dog experience shame. A dog will put its head down, put its tail between its legs. It lowers its eyes. It tur- it, it's basically neurophysiologically turning away from us. Another feature is that the cognitive element, so I'm hiding from you, and the cognitive element of shame, my thinking brain, the part of it that thinks about what I'm feeling, is one of condemnation. There's something wrong with me. I'm bad. I am worthless. I am insignificant. I am, and then just fill in the blank, all these, I'm not enough. All of these are words that we use to help us explain and make sense of what this thing is that we are sensing. It also tends to move us toward what I would call stasis. And by stasis, I mean we don't move. And without movement, right, like shame literally tends to move the body into a place of immobility. First, it is my mind that is immobilized, and then my body is immobilized, and I do not move toward the other. I don't move toward you. When I, as a parent, am ashamed about something that I've done toward my child, I just want to run away. Yeah. I just want to leave, and I want to like go hide and crawl up into a ball because I feel so bad. The whole notion of moving toward my child or the whole notion of when my child feels shame, the whole notion that they might want to move toward me is not something they're going to want to do. One of the things that we realize in the scriptures is that as the scriptures unfold the story of human beings, anytime it mentions sin, frequently shame is attached in the Hebrew language. Shame is part of that. And one of the things that we notice about shame is that because we are immobilized and we are hiding, shame does not actually ever allow us to move toward God. This is why we have to have someone come and find us. This is why that when our children are experiencing shame, we have to go and find them. This is why it's important for us as parents, if we're going to go and find our children, we as parents also must have others who are coming to find us. We cannot give what we do not have. And God does not expect us to give to our children out of our own personal reserves. We give to our children out of the reserves that we are receiving from others who are coming to find us. And what shame will want to do will be to have us hide and isolate and then be unable to create. This is the last thing I'll say about it. The purpose of humans being created, according to the Genesis text, was not just to be God's images in the sense of how we think and move and reason, but we were to bear God's image in the way that we create in the world, even as God has created us. Part of being his image bearers is to be creative beings. We are to make all kinds of things. We make babies. We make software. We make furniture. We make farms. We make business. We make all kinds of things. But evil finds creativity to be off-putting and even anathema. Evil can't tolerate the creation of beauty. 
And so part of shame's mission, the way evil will want to use it, is not just to make us feel bad. It wants us to feel bad such that we will not be able to create the beauty that God has prepared for us to create before the foundation of the world. And so one of the things that we're doing as parents is we are enabling, as moms, we are enabling, we want, we bring our children up into the world, not just to be obedient, not just to be good citizens. We want to train them to be people who have a vision for becoming outposts of beauty and goodness, for becoming creative impulses in the world that God is going to bear witness to the world through their creative power. Shame wants to shear all that off. Hey, y'all wanted to tell you about something new that I love that I thought would make your life easier too. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that we have lots of pets, two of which are cats, Hamilton and Burr. And while they're super fun and cute, what's not so fun is their kitty litter box. And so that's why I was thrilled when Pretty Litter reached out. So their box is in the room where my son's desk is that he does his work, his homework, and he's been complaining. And so we tried out Pretty Litter and a couple things that I love. One, because of how it's reinvented, unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter is super light crystals that trap in the odor, release moisture, and so it's dry and low maintenance and doesn't smell. For the people in the back, it doesn't smell. It's fantastic. It also arrives safely at my door, so I'm not lugging this giant bin to the cart and the grocery and from the cart to my car and to the house. You get it. Uh, And also, the shipping is free. Above all else, though, why I love Pretty Litter is it is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. It monitors your cat's health by changing colors when it detects a potential underlying issue. Now, you're not going to find that in a conventional litter. So if you want to get the world's smartest litter without leaving home, visit prettylitter.com and use the promo code DMA for Don't Mom Alone, to get 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code DMA for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code DMA. And so we see that it begins early, and it doesn't just affect the individuals. Those individuals go on to have impact on other people's lives as well. Shame spreads like a bad virus. In the Bible's narrative, in the biblical narrative, we see that also shame shows up early and often. In Genesis chapter, the end of chapter two, we get this harbinger of it, right? That the woman and the man were naked and they were unashamed. And then we see it in Genesis chapter three, where it plays such a crucial role. And then throughout the rest of the Genesis account, we see where shame shows up in so many different ways. And then right up to Good Friday, we see how. With the crucifixion, one of the things that God does with shame is that God says to us, there's nothing that you've experienced that is so shameful that I am not willing to join you in it. Hmm. There's nothing that we've done as human beings that has been more humiliating than crucifying other brothers and sisters, which is what the Romans did. The Greeks did it before them. The Greeks had their own version of it. But the Romans did this. They were well known for it. But it was such a humiliating act. It was not just an act of torture in its execution. It was an act intended to humiliate the cultures in which those people were being crucified. 
And as an act of humiliation, Jesus doesn't have any clothes on. I mean, our artwork notwithstanding, there's no clothing. And he's not 30 yards away, 10 feet in the air. He's right on the side of the road where people can see him up close and personal. And God is saying to us, there is nothing that is so shameful that I'm not willing to enter into it. There's nothing so shameful that you've experienced that I don't know. And so therefore, I need you to know that I know how hard this is. I know how much work is involved in this. And I'm coming to find you over and over and over again in order to, in your shame, see that I have joined you in it. And I'm going to remain with you in it as long as it takes to invite you, to persuade you, to look more at me than you are looking at your shame in order for you to allow me to bring you out of it. There will be moments, there will be dozens of moments every day. I mean, like, heck, I I tell people, look, I'm not just a sinner. I'm a professional sinner. I'm like, I'm really good at it. I'm glad that there are only 10 commandments and not 20 commandments because there were 20. I'd be breaking 20 of them every single day. There are so many moments in which God has to come to me every day and say, in this moment of shame, Kurt, I want you to look at me and not at your shame and let me take you to the place where I next want to take you. Oh, my stars, Kurt. Like everything you said on repeat a thousand times. First of all, your word to the parents almost had me in tears. I think every mom listening, especially all we've been through in 2020, needed to hear that it's not too much for God. He's not surprised. He's not worried. And then, I mean, truly laying out the gospel for us, the connection between creativity and shame, having just walked through a very creative journey of of piecing a book together, feeling really vulnerable and shame coming in constantly saying I'm not enough and someone could do it better. And it's already been said. And I'm thinking of the creative process of, of human beings going from babyhood to adulthood and how we are so vulnerable to send these little human beings into schools and out on soccer fields and, and how if they make a mistake, we feel the shame of that, the connection of parenting, uh, the compounding of how our previously held undealt with shame or daily shame compounds with my child's uh, behaviors and anyway, and then the marriage and then the friendships, like all the potential for isolating, but to hear that even if a human being doesn't come after me, Jesus is coming after me and he is seeking me out and he doesn't think I'm too far gone is such a relief. So in light of all that, if we are in that moment and I am feeling the compounding shame of whether it's my child is misbehaving and I'm taking on their shame with my shame or they're on the soccer field and I'm something happens and I am feeling not enough because they didn't do hit the expectation or there's a conflict with my spouse and I'm taking on the shame of that or in a career move, whatever creative effort we're a part of and, and shame is coming in. What do I do in that moment mm-hmm. to combat it, mm-hmm. to not isolate and physically? Because there is, like you said, a neurological response that we don't need to feel shame for feeling shame because it is how we are wired. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the answer, I think, as I, I tell patients, you know, life is actually extraordinarily simple. It's very simple. 
and it's excruciatingly difficult. But it's not difficult because it's complicated. Hmm. It's difficult because of the amount of work that is involved if we want to become as effective as we as we say that we want to become as followers of Jesus. If you if you read the New Testament, if I read the New Testament, I find that if I were to do the things that St. Paul talks about, if I were to take in, we like to say, if I'm going to ingest, digest, and metabolize the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, if I were to do the work that is required to become the fruit of the Spirit, to become the book of Ephesians, to become Romans 8, right. Heather, that is, a, that is, that is virtually uh, a full-time job. Yeah. And, 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 and we live in a culture in which we kind of think that being followers of Jesus is something we, we think it's far easier than it is. Hmm. And so when we say, what do we do? Like, I have to say, I, I don't have like, well, here are the three things that you do and you do these <laughs> things and you won't feel shame anymore. Right. No, it's the kind of thing that it, it's a similar kind of question when we say, well, how do I actually get into shape? That's what I were, that's what we're really asking. Hmm. We're not asking like, well, how do I, um, how do I walk from here to uh, the grocery store that's a mile away? No, it's how do I get into shape? And to get into shape means you're going to be in the gym four, five days a week for 90 minutes, and you're going to work your tail off and you are going to take in these things and it's going to require great effort. And, 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 I, and I speak to myself. So let me just give you an example. So on Sunday, we're, we're, you know, we're recording this in, in early December. This past Sunday uh, on Advent evening, we listened to a sermon of a friend of ours who's a pastor in Pittsburgh. And the sermon was about angels and this notion of how, you know, we typically think that angels are, are like good guys. They come and give us good news. There are, you know, our, our angels that protect us, our guardian angels, so forth and so on. And, you know, the reality is in the Gospels, angels, when they show up, <laughs> things get complicated. Everyone feels fear. For everybody. And the first yeah. thing they say is, do not be afraid. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, Heather, the reality is, that, and, and, and that, that command, it's, it's, it's been documented that the command, do not be afraid, is the most frequently uttered command in all of Scripture. And I have to say, I don't pay attention to it. Hmm. I do not do the work of practicing not being afraid. In fact, I practice just the opposite. <laughs> I know we're, we're not supposed to be afraid. But you know, we are personally, we're, we're in the middle of a, we have our own kind of family mental health crisis that we're in the middle of right now mm. that has taken me, you know, right to the edge of myself. Mm. And I've had many moments when I've been very afraid, yeah. more fearful than I've been ever. Mm. And it's easy for me to be afraid because I don't practice being anything other than that. And so I say this as an example of when it means what it, what it means for us to practice not being ashamed. It means it will require the kind of work that is necessary for us to change the nature of how our neural circuitry, our brain cells are wired. And that takes time to do. That takes the same kind of time that it takes to get into shape over a period of many, many weeks. 
It's not the kind of thing that I listen to on a podcast and say, oh, I can do that. And when I do that, standing on the soccer field, I won't feel ashamed. No, it's the kind of thing that you're going to have to practice doing day in and day out, week in and week out until we're dead. Yeah. But what, but, but there are some things that we can do and that are necessary. So here's one thing. It's really important for us to remember that, as we said earlier, when it comes to shame, we do not on our own heal ourselves of this problem. We actually have to borrow from other people's minds. I have to borrow the facial expression, the tone of voice of you, Heather, saying to me, Kurt, I'm with you. This is really hard. I really hear how badly you feel about this. And I just want you to know that I'm with you. And so I can't just take in your words. I can't just say, I can't just, you know, take in and hear like the facts, like Kurt, you don't need to be ashamed of that. That's talking to a part of my brain where my shame doesn't really dwell. The part of my brain where shame dwells is the part where I have to remember sensing the tone of your voice sensing what your eyesight looks like other moms like hearing so who are going to be the two or three other moms who are going to be in my cohort of people who are going to help me tell my story more truly and by telling me my story i don't just mean telling me the facts saying to me that god loves me saying to me that there is no shame reminding me that jesus isn't worried about this all those are important but what's most important is that as you tell me that you are with me in my shame and that my shame is hard to work out of, I'm going to pay more attention to my memory of what you've just said to me. And by what, I don't just mean the words. I mean, I'm going to remember where we were sitting in the room or where we were standing as we went for a walk now that we're in COVID. I'm going to remember the sound of your voice. I'm going to remember the feeling that I felt in my chest as it lightened as I saw the tears in your eyes, as you held my story, as I told you my story. We do a lot of work with groups in our practice. And one of the things that we frequently do is that when one member has an experience in which they've, you know, they've sensed being deeply cared for by the other members in this community, we will say to them, like, we're going to, we will stop the conversation and we will have them just simply wait and sit with what they're feeling. We will have them remember on purpose and pay attention to what they feel in their face and their chest and their abdomen. We want them to fully embody what it means for someone to come and find them and then practice remembering that. And so then we will give them the assignment two, three times a day between now and next week when you come back to next week's group. We want you to take three minutes, three times a day out of your day, and we want you to remember what it felt like to have Sarah and Jim and Paul and Emily come to find you. Because you see, as we like to say, until we sense something in our bodies, whatever it is that we're talking about is not yet fully real. Hmm. You can tell me until the cows come home that Jesus loves me, but until I sense it in my chest, it's just a fact. And so Who will be those people who will come to find us? So practicing that, having our stories told, we're telling our stories to others. We are practicing paying attention to those actual moments when we are, when someone's coming to find us. We are then, second thing we can do is we can journal about those things. We write those things down. We commit those things to memory. And then we practice taking those moments literally with us into the day in the same way that I have to practice taking the moment of 
When the light turns from green to yellow, I begin to practice slowing my car down. I have to commit that to a felt extended memory in order for that to make a difference. Those are just a couple of things that we can do to begin to undo this problem. Huge. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of friends of mine who model this well, who have modeled labeling their shame and sharing with a couple of us, whether it's mm-hmm. via text or Marco Polo is a great tool for moms and saying this familiar feeling is coming back. Mm-hmm. And instead of us saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that and dismissing it, right. getting curious about why I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what's happening. And mm-hmm. then they can start to unpack and we can empathize and ask more questions. And I think what you're saying, like show up for them. And if they then communicate that they need they need to know that even if X, Y, and Z happens, whatever's causing the shame, that they are loved and they are worthy and we can communicate that. Right. Is, and you know, is being that body of Christ is doing exactly. And, and, you know, Heather, you can, you can do some, actually some other practical things. Like you can ask people, yeah. do you sense it in my voice? Like you can be really explicit about this. It's a, it's a good thing. Can you sense it in my voice? Tell me what you're feeling. Where, where, where are you feeling your shame? Where are you feeling now? Where are you feeling loved? Yeah. To bring it to explicit consciousness, because if we do that, then we have something to lock our memory on to which we can then encode and then return to it 15 minutes later when the conversation is over. The more explicit we become in naming those things that we do in our embodied experience that bring healing and deliverance from shame, the more we are able to repeat this. Hence, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just talking about some rote behavior at the Eucharist. He's talking about, remember what it was like for you, Matthew, when I came to find you at your table. Remember what it was like for you, who in your shame, I'm coming to find you. Remember, remember, remember Hmm. in these embodied ways. I don't know what kind of goals you have set or ideas you have for 2021, but I'm hoping this sponsor will help you accomplish some of those goals. For me, it's continuing to eat uh, dairy-free and more coconut-based products. And at Thrive Market, I can do that easily. They let me search through their different 70-plus diets and values like keto, paleo, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, trade certified, and more. Also, I know that I'm saving money. So on my last order... I spent about $50, which got me free shipping, any order over $49, and I saved almost $17 off the traditional prices. I got some coconut tortilla chips because I love some chips and salsa, and they were lime-flavored, and they were delicious. If you want to check them out, a one-month membership is $9.95 a month, or a 12-month membership is $5 a month, and as a Don't Mom Alone listener, you, if you go to thrivemarket.com slash DMA and join the annual membership, you're going to get 25% off your first order and a free gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash DMA. Get 25% off your first order and a free gift. Thrivemarket.com slash DMA. I'm thinking of also... um 
you know, I have four children and there is one coming to mind who physically, I mean, you said we all physically respond to shame, but I like turns his body if we're in the Mm. car towards the the door, almost smashing himself against the window, will unbuckle and get in the far back of Mm. the SUV, will run up to his room into his closet to physically avoid and feels Mm. shame or if I ask, what are you thinking right now? It's often not that I did something wrong, but that I am wrong. Mm-hmm. That and, and parented <laughs> all four the same, but his response and there, there is some sensory stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know that his, his vestibular system has been impacted. You talk in your book about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and the fight or flight. I feel like neurologically his system was already programmed in a way that's different from other boys and then personality Mm -hmm. on top of that how do we as moms if we have a child like that how do we i know we can't become codependent it's their journey but how do we foster uh, that same sort of awareness that we were talking about just with our friends right it's a great question And and i think what it really does is it highlights this notion of just acknowledging how difficult it is at times to find the line that divides where my responsibility as a parent ends and my child's responsibility as a child begins. Yeah. That line is a moving target. It's rather blurry. I don't always know where it is, you know, day to day to day, that line changes, it seems like. Hmm. And it's different between me and different kids that I have. And it's one of the things I think that is, you know, we, we like to talk about, you know, the, the relationships in many respects kind of mimic, you know, brain cells, brain cells, they talk to one another and they don't actually touch one another. They talk to one another by one brain cell dumping chemicals into this space called a synapse. And that those chemicals cross the synapse, they cross that little divide and they take up residence in the other brain cell that the first brain cell is trying to communicate with and that space in between that synapse that really is the space that occupies that which is between us and our kid and that's where the holy spirit works and i don't know always where that line is but i do know that uh as as we like to say we cannot as human beings we cannot guarantee good outcomes i can do what i can do and so when we have chi- a child that has uh, sensory sensitivities, when we have a child that has a uh, you know certain personality or temperament issues that are uh, you know maybe different from the rest of our kids, we as parents will do the best we can to find where the line is. We will do that imperfectly, and we will do everything that we can because we're going to read the literature, we're going to get help from counselors, and get help from other parents about about tactically what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. But mostly what's going to be important as far as our own shame management is concerned is that we have other parents who are coming to find us in that same moment where we're coming to find our children and doing so imperfectly. Because as we do so imperfectly and that imperfection raises its head, we're going to be tempted not just to work harder to find the next best thing we're supposed to be doing. We're going to be tempted to feel bad that we're not doing a good enough job. Yeah. And it's in that space where we will need others who will say to us, Jesus is not worried about this. He's on the job as we are on the job. And I just want you to breathe and we're going to breathe with you. 
And I want you to pay as much attention to Jesus and to me as I want you to pay attention to your child. And I want you to stop paying attention to your worry and to your shame. And all of that takes a great deal of hard work. And it's not hard, Heather, because we're stupid or because we're pansies or because we're, you know, we're weaklings. It's hard because evil is intent upon devouring the world and it will do everything it can to interfere with God's goodness and beauty showing up. And especially in those harder moments, but it's in those harder moments where we would say that the gospel is most eager to reveal itself and not perhaps because we get immediate good results from all of our hard work, but because it's in those hard places where God is saying, I will not ever stop loving you or your child, even in this very hard space. <sighs> I, I mean, thank you. That ministered to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that advice also applies to a spouse that you may be feeling burdensome for the shame they're carrying mm-hmm. and how to be a a voice of Jesus to them without jumping into that shame cycle with them. Um, mm-hmm. But man, Kurt, I'm real mad that our time's up, but I think that there's so much goodness to start off our 2021, everything mm. that you said. And mm. I fully confidently point y'all listening to, I know the book I've been reading the soul of shame, but he also has another book, the anatomy of the soul. And you have been on several podcasts recently. Mm-hmm. So y'all, y- you can keep this Kurt <laughs> consumption going, but ultimately you're pointing us back to Jesus. So mm-hmm. if, if he points you back to Jesus, that mm-hmm. is even better. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your encouragement to moms today and for reminding us of mm-hmm. who the true enemy is and mm-hmm. the evil that is trying to rob the beauty and creativity that's available. Mm-hmm. Where could people find you online if they they do want to keep following you? Yes, thank you. Um, and again, Heather, it's just been such a pleasure to be with you and uh, to all those who are listening. Um, and uh, just thankful for your ministry and for the work that you're doing to provide support and um, a fresh voice to moms who are working as hard as they are doing what they're doing. People can find my work at kurtthompsonmd.com. You'll find there, you can find access to the two books that I've written to a number of blog posts, especially I've written a a number of essays in response to the pandemic, as well as there are, uh, you can, you find a way to download a, a free chapter of the soul of shame and get, you know, kind of get a taste for that Uh, as well as there are a number of different exercises that people can find that help kind of put some flesh on the bones of some of the things that, uh, that I've been, we've been talking about here. So um, hopefully people could find that to be a useful resource. Well, thank you once again. Um, I feel encouraged. So (laughs) you're most welcome. Selfishly, this was great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pleasure. And uh, perhaps we can do it again. I would love it. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Tell you all, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what Kurt has to offer. I'm going to put in the show notes some links to some other podcasts he's been on. And I've been listening to his Soul of Shame book on my walks. And it's, whew, every little bit I listen to is just super helpful. He said it in this episode, but I just wanted to highlight his encouragement to find your two or three moms. 
want you to think about it. I want you to ask God to reveal to you who are two or three moms around you that you could invite into a cohort that when that shame cycle starts that you could either meet on a walk or talk through Marco Polo or somehow be connected to them so that you are supported as you mom. So you don't mom alone. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for Kurt too and what he's walking through. Lord, I thank you that you have not made us defenseless against the enemy's tactic of shame. I thank you that not only do you come after us, you also equip us with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you provide community and people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us push against isolation to invite two or three people into our lives that we know are safe and that are good and that desire our good to reveal some of our shame and to feel their love for us so that we can be reminded of your love. I pray for Kurt and what his family is walking through. I pray that you would supernaturally move and intervene in that situation. I pray against the fear and worry that is impacting Kurt. I thank you for his vulnerability in sharing that with us because we can relate that fear also wants to take us down. I pray that we could um, trust you to remember that you are not worried about our kids, that we could have wisdom on where that line is between our responsibility and our child's. And I pray, Lord, I pray for breakthrough, healing, and movement towards what is good and right in the upcoming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, thank you again for listening to this episode. Thank you for following on with me. Some of you reach out to me and tell me amazing things God is doing in your life through the guests on the show. And I don't know if you saw my latest Instagram post of a summary of the year last year and one listener telling me that her sister actually found Christ through one of the episodes. That to me is worth every little ounce of energy and production we put into this show. One last invitation. Bruce and I are starting that Strengths Finders series over on Patreon for our Don't Mom Alone insiders. If you want to join us, just go to patreon.com forward slash don't mom alone. And I would love to see you there. We are going to do our first live session on January 12th at 1.30 Central Standard Time, but we will record it. Of course, you can watch it back later. Um, We just want to help y'all know how God made you so that you can maximize your strengths for his use and navigate relationships, conflict, parenting as best you can into 2021. All right. Thanks, y'all. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. 
He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.